0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is One Glorious Gardener by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We celebrate today. Today is a day filled with joy. Today is not about Easter eggs. Today is not about public holidays. Today is not about silly looking rabbits running around with baskets in their hands. Today is about the day that God walked out of the tomb. Thank you, Jesus, for what that means for us. In your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me in John chapter 20. We're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, If we look over history, there's been many days that we would mark on the calendar. Maybe there's days that we would say, I can remember where I was when that happened. And, uh, you know, I can remember where I was, for example, when I heard the news about the Twin Towers. Uh, Bill might say that he could remember where he was when World War I broke out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We were having coffee, I think, weren't we, Bill? <laughs> uh, just very recently, and a little bit more about that in a moment, I can remember where I was last Easter. I was here with one other person who was asleep behind the counter filming me. Uh, uh, I like YouTube because I can be a barefoot preacher. (laughs) I can fulfill the calling. But I know uh, most people are now looking back a year and going, wow, it's been a year since all the lockdowns. I can remember where I was when it was announced. And today I want to walk through perhaps what three or four people might look at the day that impacted the world. One of the greatest days in the history of the universe was when God walked out of the tomb. And we are in danger, I believe, of allowing that day to become all about Easter eggs, to become all about public holidays. Uh, The fact of the matter is, if you don't believe in the person of Jesus Christ, then go to work tomorrow. If Jesus is a myth and if Jesus is a fairy tale, which, by the way, even atheistic historians don't agree with, then go to work on Monday. Otherwise, let's press the pause button for a moment. Let's forget about public holidays and chocolate. I need to forget about chocolate, by the way. <laughs> 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 Nobody said amen, I like that. <laughs> so, if you get your Bibles today, meet me in uh, John chapter 20. Where we've come to the resurrection account. And a little bit of context that brings us here that might even play a little bit into our days today, but we forget the impact that the crucifixion had on the disciples. We forget that 12 who were now 11, we forget that those 12 gave up everything in their life to follow this Jesus. We forget that they had banked their whole life on this. We forget that this was everything for them. We forget that they were expecting a king that would depose Rome and set up an earthly kingdom, and now he's hanging on the cross and he's died and he's been laid in a tomb. We forget that for them, their world had been shaken, turned upside down, and everything they knew had been thrown out the window. And a lot of what's happened in the last 12 months may have done the same to the landscape of church today. I I make you this guarantee: moving forward, COVID will alter the landscape of church. I believe positively. I'm not. I'm not here saying God caused COVID today, but I know that my God can take even the most heinous of situations, and bring such good. And we are seeing such good on the landscape of church, but these guys were probably a lot like us. Have a look around the world right now. Things are getting really serious. Uh, If you haven't been watching the news, uh, the mass shootings in America have just started going. People's mental health, suicide has increased. If there was a time when this planet needed a hope outside of this planet, it's right now. I'm tired of hearing the fact that we live in unprecedented times. I get the greatest privilege in the world to visit a man that's 99. He will be 100 in August. But if you sit down and listen to his story of the last 99 years, we are not living in unprecedented times. We've had Spanish flus. We've had world wars. Try living through a world war when they thought Germany was going to conquer the globe and they never knew when it was going to end. Imagine living on food stamps. And we think we've got it tough today. We're not living in unprecedented times, but the world needs hope. I want to introduce you to four people today that think that this day that we celebrate today brings the greatest hope to each and every one of us. First one we will get to a bit later is Mary Magdalene. Verse 1 of chapter 20 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Two and a half tonne stone. Get to that later. Verse 2, so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And we know that John's talking about himself here. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but cardio wasn't Peter's strong suit. (laughs) They were both running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. And and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. I want to press the pause button for a moment. We will get back to Mary Magdalene in a moment, but I, I want to introduce you to two gentlemen. The first one is Simon Peter. Imagine the hope that he would find. Uh, uh, it's, it's like the penny has dropped. It's like the light has gone on. It's like someone's pulled the curtains back for Peter right now because Jesus always spoke about the fact that he would die and, and he would be raised. They never really understood what he meant. They couldn't see victory in that kind of defeat. But but what we see here now is an excitement. Could it be possible? Could everything that Jesus said be possibly true? <laughs> And Peter runs, but don't forget the Peter that we're talking about. There might be people here today that identify a little bit with Peter. As we go through Peter's story very quickly, there might be people here that say, you know what, when I look in the mirror, I see a Christian like Peter. I know I do. Here's Peter that, have a listen to some of his triumphs. Here's Peter that when everybody else is in the fishing boat, pulling in all those fish, he's the only one that turns around and says to Jesus, away from me, Lord, from a sinful man. He got it. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 16, when, when Jesus is asking his disciples, the greatest question in the universe, the one that all of us need to answer, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? Peter's the one that pipes up and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Jonah, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Wow. It'd be the same Peter, John chapter 6. Isn't it interesting how nothing's new under the sun? John chapter 6, we find that hundreds and thousands of people are following Christ. Why? Because he fed their bellies. Jesus even turned around to them and said, you guys are only following me. I'm doing the Sean Wood version today. You guys are only following me because you have filled your bellies. You're only following me for what you can get out of it. And then of course, like nothing's ever changed, a hard teaching comes and they all turn around and say, this teaching's hard. Who can bear this? We're out of here. The temptation is to dole down the message, but Jesus never doled the message down. He turns hundreds. If Jesus was a pastor today, you get the sack. Because hundreds, if not thousands, left straight away. If you're measuring attendance, you've got a problem. If And he turns to the 12 and he says, do you guys want to go as well? Listen to Peter. Peter says, to whom shall we go? We have come to realise that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, and you hold the words of eternal life. Wow. Top of the class, Peter. Peter thinks he's got it all together. Peter thinks I'm the number one disciple. Look at my faith. (laughs) Now we're starting to maybe identify a little bit with Peter. Peter thinks he's got it all together. Jesus says, you're going to deny me, Peter. Peter said, I wouldn't deny you, even if I have to die with you. Isn't it interesting how a couple of hours can make a world of difference in a person's life? Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I would never deny you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so many people say that the defining moment in Peter's life was the day of Pentecost. The defining moment in Peter's life was when that rooster crowed. And he realized, you know what, I haven't got it all together. Because what happened was... As we all know, Peter even swore. He swore at one of the ladies, it says, I don't know this man. And Jesus turned and looked at him as the rooster crowed. It's that Peter. Anybody here got a past like that? I tell you what, sometimes when I look in the mirror, I see Peter. I see a guy who thinks he's got it all together, but has made a million mistakes. How many of us have drifted away from Jesus? I've got some really encouraging words for you today. If there is hope to be found in the tomb today, you can leave your past. Have a listen to this. I think this is one of the most profound verses in scripture. Mark chapter 16, which was written by John Mark, but orated by Peter. This is the same account. Have a listen to this. I love these words. Verse six. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. This is the angels who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Verse seven. I love this. But go tell his disciples and Peter. What? How many people are like, no, forget that dude. He, do you know what Peter's done? Peter knew what he'd done. I bet you there's people sitting in this room today that go, you know what? It's parts of Peter that I identify with. I want you to know that the greatest day in the universe is a place where you can find hope to leave your past behind. I've never met someone so glorious as Jesus. Because the next conversation that Jesus has with Peter is in John chapter 21. And he's got a lot to say to Peter. And don't you worry, he's dressing Peter down in John chapter 21. Do you love me, Peter? Yeah? Well, let's get on with it then. But the profundity in those verses is found in what Jesus did not say. Not once does he mention the fact that Peter denied him. And not once does Jesus come to ram our sins down our throats. No, no, no. Jesus came to deal with them. We've all got a past. We've all got a story. And I bet you we've all got a past we'd like to leave behind. Well, we have the greatest hope today found in this day. This is this Peter Same Peter that's running to the tomb. No wonder he's running to the tomb. Could it be true? But of course, Mr. Cardio, verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. I bet you John just put that one in there. (laughs) We'll slip that one in there. Next time you're reading this Gospel, Peter, just choke on that. He outran Peter and he reached the tomb first and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth. This part is really important for what's coming next. He saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. That's very important for what we're about to talk about. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw... And he believed. The disciple John was about 16 when Jesus called him. Unlike the other disciples, he will die a natural death at the age of about 98. They try to kill all the disciples. They stick John in a big bowl of boiling oil. And when it has no effect on him, Nero says, send him to Patmos. This day impacted John very, very deeply. I remember a miniseries I watched on Netflix which is called AD Kingdom and Power which is all about the book of Acts but very remarkably it starts exactly with this scene and I'll never forget how well they painted this scene because they paint the scene they begin with Mary running back to Simon and John and they also uh, begin with John out running Peter to the tomb and Mary's outside the tomb Peter runs in has a bit of a look around and then he takes off and and John just slowly walks into the tomb and has a bit of a look around paints a very good picture, and then he slowly walks to the top of the stairs coming out of the tomb, and Mary says, what did you see? And John says, absolutely nothing. He says, but absolutely everything. Why? Because that tomb is empty. Absolutely everything. Everything. moving away from Easter eggs for a moment, moving back to pressing the pause button. What hope did John find here? See, when John uses the word believe, he uses that word 99 times in his gospel. And every time he does, it's a verb, and it's speaking of us casting the fullness of our trust and reliance upon the person of Jesus Christ. John didn't use this word flippantly, and what he says is, I saw and I believed. What did you see, John? I saw an empty tomb. In his book Man, Myth or Messiah, Rice Brooks goes through the historicity and the archaeological evidence for not only Jesus but the resurrection of Jesus. It's the it's the it's the linchpin. And there are what we call and what historians call minimal facts. These minimal facts are historical facts that uh, not just Christian historians, but all historians, whether they're atheists, secular, whatever, they agree with these facts. There is, there is a home run. Nobody argues with the validity of these facts. I'm going to give you some of these minimal facts today. Over 90% of historians today unreservedly say that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person of history. There are still, I, I don't understand why, it's nonsensical. There are still people today that say, well, Jesus is just a made-up figure. Okay, all right. I don't know what you do with all the historical facts. We have, we have, for example, uh, uh, we have uh, records of the triumphs of Alexander the Great. Nobody disputes the historical evidence for his conquests and his life. Died early, all those sorts of things. But yet the closest we have of anybody who put pen to paper about his life is 300 years after his death. And nobody argues with the facts. They put pen to paper about the person of Jesus Christ 30 years after his death. They began to put pen to paper. And everybody's like, he's a a myth. Minimal fact number one, Jesus of Nazareth actually lived. Minimal fact number two, he was definitely baptised by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. The historical evidence for that is a home run. Minimal fact number three, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate and he definitely died. Romans didn't get that part wrong. Minimal fact number four, there's no body in that tomb. You have to do something with that evidence. It's, a, it's an absolute ploy of the enemy that will make Easter all about chocolate. We'll desensitise you to the reality of what that day means. We'll desensitise you as much as we have to. We'll talk about Easter celebrations on the news, but we might just have snapshots of what suits us. And, and Easter's all about public holidays and roadblocks and, and camping and, and chocolate. And we are slipping past another Easter, and we've missed the fact that there's no body in that tomb. John saw and he believed So many historians, knowing the implications of that evidence, many historians stand up and say, well, here's here's the best evidence they've got. The best evidence they've got is that the disciples stole the body. That's the number one rebuttal for the empty tomb. The disciples stole the body. Well, let's have a look at that for a moment. The disciples took their time to unwrap the grave clothes and fold them neatly. We're not in a rush. By the way, uh, the, the disciples had to come in the middle of the night and get past a Roman guard that the Pharisees had asked to be placed before the tomb. They had to roll the two and a half tonne stone uphill slightly, go in, grab the body and nick it off out of the city before anybody could see what they were doing. In a city that was packed at Passover time? I don't know what you need more faith to believe. But another one said, well, yeah, no, but uh, Jesus never really died on the cross. He he just kind of swooned and, you know, uh, a couple of days later, he kind of revived and he walked out of the tomb. So a guy that was at the point of death upon the cross, and then they put him into the the tomb, surrounded by a Roman guard, manages to revive himself, no food and water for three days, but must have had some kale or something like that. But uh, no food or water for three days. I promised I wasn't going to do any more kale jokes, I'm sorry. <laughs> no food or water for three days, but rolls a two and a half tonne stone uphill and then beats a Roman guard and slips out of the city without anybody seeing him. The other one is, no, 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 the women got the wrong tomb. Oh, okay, so the women went to the wrong tomb, an empty tomb, but they ran back, told the disciples, but the disciples ran to the same tomb. what's an empty tomb doing with grave clothes folded up in there? Just as a bit of a digression, uh, the face cloth that was on Jesus' head, neatly folded. Uh, In the first century, when you were reclining at somebody's table, they would give you the same cloth. And if you needed to get up from the table and go and excuse yourself for something, you would just throw that cloth there. And that was, if you were done, sorry, if you were finished with the meal, you would just throw the cloth and discard it. But if you hadn't finished the meal, you would neatly fold it and place it where you were. And that was a sign to everybody, I'm not done, I'm coming back. So the disciples walk in and find the cloth nicely folded. I'm not done, I'm coming back. The disciple John, he saw and he believed. When he walked in and there was nobody in that tomb and the grave clothes were sitting there, he knew exactly what that meant. He meant that there was the strongest evidence in the universe that Jesus was who he said he was. Verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But, verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. For those that were with us last week, we were introduced to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is the one that anointed the feet of Christ. It is Mary Magdalene that Jesus cast seven devils out of, reportedly in Luke chapter 8. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, My cheer squad's come. Cheering me on. <laughs> <laughs> I meant Stephen. Stephen's my cheer squad. Yeah, thanks. Klein <laughs> <Clined> by name. <laughs> Full of life. Verse 17. They said to a woman, Why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Who are they? Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. I love this part. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? The tomb's empty. Why are you weeping? Who did you come here looking for? It's interesting to note that every account in the other synoptic gospels accounts the fact that the women came with spices in their hand. They were coming to prepare a body for burial. I want to ask everybody the same question that Jesus asked Mary today. Who did you come here seeking? Who who did you come here looking for? Just another man? Is Jesus just the leader of a, a bunch of good ideas? If you keep reading, you're going to read about a man named Thomas. And he would answer that question this way: My Lord and my God. Let's keep reading on. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, one very, very, very glorious gardener. I've never met a gardener like this guy. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary the conversation changes in an instant Jesus said to her Mary and the moment Jesus said her name she turns to him and says in Aramaic Rabboni she knew who it was Mary would say that that empty tomb spells a personal relationship the creator of the universe <clears throat> I want to introduce you to the fourth person today Something I don't do very often But I want to introduce you to a young Australian man Who At the age of six uh, He's born in Sydney And at the age of six his, his mother He would say that he was born a long way from God But God always made sense to him He, just, he would tell you that, that God was just logical It just made sense, but he had no idea who this God was. Just like this Mary talking to the gardener. Never heard of Jesus. Grew up a long way from any idea of Christianity, but he would say that his mother would, at the age of six, would pick him up. It would be the last time he would see his natural father. They go to a little place called Tasmania. And when he finds himself in Tasmania, he finds that it's just him and his mum and uh, he, he moves from school to school and he, he finds it hard to make friends and to kind of fit in. And, and by the time he's nine years of age, he, his mum meets a man that she quickly strikes up a relationship with and things turn violent very quickly. By the time this young man is 12 years of age, it's escalated to the point where uh, he, a phone call to the house meant that his sister rescued him out of the situation. And for the first time he stepped out of the taxi uh, uh, and the man running the group home for the welfare walked in and said, it's OK, son, you, you're safe now. For the first time he, he felt safe. All his life until he was 12, he, he, all he knew was insecurity. All he knew was being jolted from one place to the next and, and the one thing that he had was his mum and then this guy comes and takes all that away. He, he had his own kids, but they were never treated that way. And He started a journey at the age of 12 and he would find himself very quickly trying uh, in welfare and they would try to rebuild the relationship. And after a, a period of weeks and months, the relationship couldn't be reconciled with his mother and the stepfather, and he can remember the day right now when he was sitting in the room, and there was just four people in the room. There was his mum, his stepdad, his welfare officer and himself, and the welfare officer said, we've tried everything. Today you've got a choice. You've you've either got to go home with your son or with your stepfather, and she doesn't even look at him. She just turns to the welfare officer and said, if he's not going to toe the line, then I don't care where he goes. And from there, it's only a few short weeks and a 30-second court appointment. And he would say, I became a ward of the state. I had no idea what that meant. And he goes from welfare home to welfare home. And he would tell you that when you've got your security and your safety ripped from you, you will spend your life building a safe zone that you can cling to. He goes from welfare home to welfare home. finally, he, he finds himself in a place that he begins to feel secure and not just a business transaction. And their child has a. They have their own child, and he has an accident, a young kid, and he's blamed for something he didn't do. And late at night after tea, the warfare officer says, Come with me, I've finally found a place where you can go for two weeks, and I'll sort something out. He walks into the house, and this wonderful lady greets him, and the house is full of people, and he knows exactly (laughs) what the business transaction looks like. Here's your broom. See you in the morning for breakfast. He's only supposed to be there for two weeks, but he would say two weeks went by, four weeks went by, six weeks went by. And he would say that a phone call finally came from the welfare officer saying, you know what, we, we haven't forgotten about him. We're, we're trying to find him somewhere to live. And he's overhearing the conversation on the phone where she says he's fine where he is. Thank you very much. He can stay here. First time he ever heard these words. He can stay here as long as he wants. That young man would become a teenager and he would end up in a very low socioeconomic school and he thought that he'd rather a fight than a feed, one of those kind of teenagers. If if it was male and it had two legs, he was going to take it on because he had a point to prove and the point was usually it's a long way up when you've been knocked down. However, he would find that over a period of time, he came to realise that angels really do live on earth. And a wonderful lady that loved Jesus showed him what the love of Christ looked like. And over a period of time, he was introduced to this Jesus. And this this gardener, this, this one that he had logically thought of and deduced must be the evidence began to grow. And just like Peter, he had a past. And just like John, he needed evidence. And just like Mary, he could stand before you today and he is standing before you today and he can tell you that he can remember the day that the creator of the universe said to him on the inside, Sean. And when you're a young teenager and all your security has been ripped away from you and everything that's safe has been ripped away from you, when you find that safe zone in eternity, in the arms of the one that walked out of the tomb, the greatest evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ today is that he can be personally known and experienced. We can talk about evidence. If you go into a court of law, you can talk about evidence until you're blue in the face. What they want is eyewitness testimony. And I stand before you today as an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that it offers every person. No matter what brings you to the tomb today, no matter who it was that you were seeking when you walked in here today, no matter how bad you think your past was, maybe, maybe Jesus is saying, and Bill, would you believe it? And Liz, of all people. No, I'm joking. <laughs> and many times Jesus has said, and Sean. And I'm sure he'll say it many times in the future. We have a great reason to celebrate. and we're gonna, I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come back while we finish off praying. But we're going to sing today to finish off. And please don't rush away. masks and all, we can have coffee and we can spread outside. But we have a lot of hope that is outside of everything that's going on around us. The hope that is in the person of Jesus Christ. Let us pray as the worship team make their way back. Praise be to the name of Jesus. Jesus, we will celebrate with family, yes. We will eat too much chocolate, yes. We'll enjoy the holidays, yes, but we remember the day that you walked out of the tomb. Jesus, you are our hope that we can live forever. And what a hope it is to live forever with you. We believe in the person of Jesus. We believe that tomb is still empty. We believe that you were raised from the dead by the power of God due to a sinless life. And we believe that you are the hope for a flailing world. I pray that whatever brings people to the tomb today, that they would find the Jesus that is seeking each and every one of our hearts. Father, today, we pray that Jesus would be celebrated across this city, across this state, across this nation. Masks or no masks, we will celebrate Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of doing so. As we sing to finish off, we desire to lift up your name and praise your name in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.